Welcome to Midtown 12 South. My name is Elliot. I'm the pastor here. And um, it's a joy to be with you in God's house with God's people, opening up God's word together. Uh, we just wrapped up a series last Sunday and we begin a new fall series today. We're going to be studying the book of Acts. Uh, this past summer, we studied the Apostles' Creed, which was a joy to teach. I hope for those of you who were here, it was a joy to, to listen and learn together. Um, I say that to say, not to plug uh, you know, the past series that you'd go listen to the podcast, but um, today we're going to be talking about this beginning of the book of Acts, and there are some massive things going on, like the ascension of Jesus, uh, and then there's the giving of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, and they're speaking in tongues, and then there's this mission of the church. There's all that. We're going to talk about it all today, and I say that to you to say we will certainly not cover everything that could be covered in a, in a sermon on the opening of the book of Acts and what's going on in Acts, but I say that to you that we've got a great resource. We just preached through a lot of this this summer in the Apostles' Creed. We just preached about the ascension of Jesus. We just preached about the Holy Spirit in the Apostles' Creed. We just preached about the mission of the church in the Apostles' Creed. So if today is just average, there's some better stuff, you know, before. Kidding. Um, Acts is quite the book. A little background on Acts would tell you that Acts is a sequel, meaning Acts is part two of a two-parter. Luke, who wrote it, was a historian, and he sets out in the book of Luke, he says in the opening line of the book of Luke, um, to a friend, Theophilus. No one really knows who Theophilus was, uh, but he says, hey, Theophilus, I, Luke, a historian, I, Luke, have undertaken this task of writing for you an account of the mission and the person and the work of Jesus. And I've done a bunch of research and I've done interviews and I've got first eyewitness accounts and I want you to know, Theophilus, that all you hear about Jesus is true. I'm writing you this book so that you will know that the things you've heard, you'll be convinced that they're true. But Luke knew from the beginning he was writing a two-parter, book of Luke and the book of Acts. In fact, many theologians will just call it one book, Luke-Acts. It's actually meant to be one story, so we're going to study Acts this fall, this one story of who this Jesus of Nazareth really was and this birth of this thing called the church and how it really is telling one story that Luke would write, that the reader would be convinced that Jesus really is who he says he is, and we would hope the same for us. So we're going to study Acts, birth of the church. We're going to follow that story of the church as it came to be according to Luke, the historian. So we're going to read two uh, chunks, one chunk from Acts chapter 1. It'll be on, your, on the screen, or you can turn your Bible to Acts chapter 1, and then we'll read another chunk from Acts chapter 2, this beginning of the story of the church, according to Luke. Acts chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. He's talking about the book of Luke there. Until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. And we had said these things as they were looking on, he, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? 
This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And then flipping the page to Acts chapter two, starting in verse one, it says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. These are the same people who were just with Jesus in Acts chapter one. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there was dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Amen. It's the word of the Lord. Okay. Two passages, two lengthy, massive, uh, massively important passages uh, from the opening chapters of Acts. And we're going to look at these kind of one chapter at a time. We've got two points this morning. One point is taken from the first passage. Second point is taken from the second passage. And you need to know that whenever I use an outline, it's because I'm afraid I'm going to talk for too long. Uh, so if you ever think I preach too long, tell me I needed an outline. Here we go. So first passage is this. First point of the day is this. God calls the church into his mission. God calls the church into his mission. And the second is this, Acts chapter two, and God empowers the church for his mission. God calls the church into his mission and God empowers the church for his mission. So first, God calls the church into his mission. In our passage uh, that we just read in Acts chapter one, we read about something massive that we are not gonna do justice to, but we read about this thing called the ascension of Jesus. We preached on it several weeks ago. The reason why I tell you that is that it's important to understand or at least to look at the ascension of Jesus and to understand the context of what was going on when Jesus ascended, what other things were happening when Jesus decided to ascend. And the context of the ascension is where Jesus is sending his church into the world. And so if you wanna know, if you understand, understand the importance of the ascension, you have to know, well, what's the importance of this mission that he's sending them into the world to do? This is why Luke wrote a two-part series because it's all right here. This is why Luke Acts goes together so well. It's actually hidden and buried in Luke chapter or in Acts chapter one, verse one. The opening line of the second part says this. Throw out verse one again. It says this. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Verse two, until the day when he was taken up. Verse one, here's what Luke just told you. And it's easy to breeze over it because you're just thinking he's writing the intro to his second piece, and he is, but he's giving you a clue. Hey, Theophilus, in my first book, in part one, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. So the reader, so Theophilus is going, okay, cool. So I guess, what is Jesus gonna continue to do? What is, if Jesus began to do a bunch of stuff in, Luke and, in the book of Luke, and he came and he ministered and he healed, and then he died and he resurrected, what is the, what is the second half? What is Jesus gonna continue to do? Because you told me how he began to do this work, what's the rest of the work? What's Jesus going to keep doing? And then you read verse two. Oh, and by the way, Theophilus, Jesus ascended. Okay, so 
wait, 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 hold on, hold on, Luke, hold on, Luke. You just told the reader, you just told Theophilus that you wrote about the, the first part of the story and now the, the work of Jesus is gonna continue, right? Yes, but then Jesus disappears. How is Jesus gonna do the work that he began to do? How is Jesus gonna continue to do the work in the world if he was taken into heaven? And this is Luke's point entirely. The church is to be the continuation of Jesus. Luke saw a continuation of the story of Jesus from the gospel according to Luke, and that transitions, that transfers into the work and life of the church because the mission that Jesus came to accomplish was not done yet. Now, that doesn't mean the work of Jesus is insufficient. That doesn't mean the work of Jesus didn't do its job. That just means that the plan all along was that the work that Jesus began to do, that he would hand the baton and say, now church, it's your turn. That the work of the church is to continue the work of Jesus. Luke Acts, this two-part story is telling one story. It's the story of the work of Jesus in the world. And in the book of Luke, Jesus is doing it. In the book of Acts, guess who's supposed to continue doing it? The church. These titles of books that we have, the gospel according to Luke, the book of Acts, those titles were inserted by church fathers throughout the centuries. There's nothing wrong with them, but do you know that for a very long time, the book of Acts was actually called the continued Acts of Jesus? And then you read the first chapter, you read the first 10 verses, and Jesus is gone. So how in the world can this book be all about the continued acts of Jesus if he's not here anymore? And that's the point. That's why Luke is a masterful writer. He's saying, yes, because the continued work of Jesus in the world is to be continued on by the church. The church is to continue the mission of Jesus. Which is why we said a few weeks ago when we were preaching about the Holy Catholic Church and the Apostles' Creed, we said this, that God does not have a mission for his church. He doesn't. God has a church for his mission God already has a mission, but he intends that the church, his people, his bride, his body would be the way, would be the means by which his mission would continue in the world. So what's his mission? What did Jesus come into the world to do? What did Jesus come into the world to accomplish? Why did Jesus come and what mission now does the church step into of Jesus? Well, the mission of God since the beginning, the mission of God has always been to mend the world. Jesus intends to mend the world through his kingdom. This has always been the mission of God in the world since Genesis chapter three. Sin shattered it and God through his people intends to restore it. What shalom was in the Garden of Eden, all the bliss, all the ecstasy, all the unity, all the joy, all the beauty, all the, way, all the ways that things were as they were meant to be in the Garden of Eden when heaven and earth were together, that is the way God has always wanted his creation to be. But sin shattered it, sin tore it apart. And so now God went on mission, starting in Genesis chapter three, to mend what was shattered, to restore what was broken. Jesus came to undo what sin has done to you and undo what sin has done to the world. Do you know that loneliness was never a part of the plan? Do you know that abuse wasn't a part of the plan? Do you know that addiction wasn't a part of the plan? Do you know that selfishness wasn't a part of the plan? Do you know that injustice wasn't a part of the plan? Do you know that discord wasn't a part of the plan? Do you know that divorce wasn't a part of the plan? Do you know that neglect wasn't a part of the plan? So who will mend all that is shattered? Who will mend all that is broken? The king and his kingdom will. That's the mission of God in the world. As the old hymn says, he came to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. 
That's what the king came to do. And that's what members of the kingdom carry into the world. I'm on mission with my king. Do you know what mission my king has for me? To mend what's been broken. In all the dark corners of the planet and all the dark corners of your home and all the dark corners of your heart, the king came to mend what's been broken. And that's the mission of the king and the mission of his kingdom. So how? How in the world are God's people to carry on the work of Jesus, the continued acts of Jesus? How is the church to carry on the mission of Jesus in the world? How could the church possibly do that work? Verse eight of chapter one, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You will be my witnesses. That's how, church. Witnesses. The church that's born at this moment of the ascension, Acts chapter one, the church is sent out from that moment and what is their tool? What do they have to do in order to accomplish the mission? You are to be my witnesses. Be witnesses of all that you have heard and seen and beheld. Be witnesses of who Jesus is and what he's done for you. Be witnesses of the story that God has written in your life. Be a witness to what you know. Be a witness to the story. That word witness, when Luke uses it and says, and Jesus uses it, you are to be my witnesses, is a legal word from the first century in Greek. It literally is like a witness in a court system. It is, you just bear witness to what you know to be true. Here's the actual definition. A witness is one who can and does speak from personal experience about actions in which they took part and which happened to them. So here it is. The church is sent into the world to mend the world, to bring the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven into the world, to carry on the works of Jesus. How do they do that? By bearing witness to the world about the work that Jesus has done for you. That's how the church does it. All you gotta do is, is testify. I'm just here to tell you my version of the story, what I've experienced. I'm just here to tell you what I know to be true. I'm just here to tell you what I've experienced. I'm just here to tell you what I've seen and known. I'm just here to tell you how Jesus has treated me. I'm just here to testify. I'm just here to bear witness. And the point of that is this, you're not the main event. The story's not about you. It doesn't actually, it doesn't actually require that you have to drum up some kind of testimony that isn't yours. If you're just called to be a witness, all you have to do is tell what happened to you. All you have to do is bear witness to what took place for you. Bear witness to who the king is. Bear witness to what he's done for you. Bear witness to how he has carried you. Bear witness to how he has forgiven you. Bear witness to how he has never left you. Bear witness to the hope that he has given you. Tell the story of what God has done for you. That's what it means to bear witness. So if you're 16 and you're going, oh, I don't know, what's God done for me? I've got a lot of questions and I don't know. I'm not sure all of it's true and I've got a lot of questions and I really don't like my mom and dad right now and, I'm, and I've, got, I've got wonderings and I love this Jesus, but I don't really know. And you go, what could possibly be my testimony? That. You just bear witness to what, what, has, what God has done with you, how he's been patient with you, how he's welcomed your doubts. You're not sure you've got all the answers yet, but you know that there's a God who's patient with you. Bear witness to that. Tell the story of what God has done for you. When you're a witness in an actual courtroom, I'm told, haven't ever been one. Would love to be one though one day. Could y'all commit some crime that I could be a witness for? I would love it. You know what witnesses are never asked to do? Be spectacular or be unique 
or lie because they think it would help the case if they had a better testimony than if I had someone else's story of what God had done for them, then my testimony would be more powerful. No, 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 no. Just tell what God has done for you. Just tell how God has been faithful to you. Just testify to what you know to be true because God has not let you go. You don't need to be unique. You don't even need to be original. Just bear witness to what you have seen and heard and beheld and experienced from the king and his kingdom. This is one of the joys of my job. I get to hear testimony. I get to hear people bearing witness. Tell me how Jesus found you. Tell me how Midtown has, has what it's meant in your journey of faith. Tell me how the kingdom of God has radically impacted you. Tell me the stories of you were a widow, but the people of God came around you. Tell me the stories of how you lost a child and the people of God wept with you. Tell me the story of how you didn't know how you were gonna wake up one more, one, one more day and your friend showed up for you. Tell me the story of how walking into this room and not knowing your right hand from your left, but you heard the gospel of Jesus and you refell in love with him. Tell me the story of you you just bear witness of what God has done for you. And when you do that, when you bear witness, when you testify to what God has done for you, you will be bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth. You will be agents of healing and reconciliation in the classrooms where you teach and the hospital rooms where you serve. You will be bearing witness and bringing the kingdom of heaven into the family rooms that you cultivate, into the machinery you design, into the banks where you handle people's money, into the, into the law office where you fight for justice, into every sphere that God has placed you in. You are not called there to be spectacular. You are called there to be faithful and be faithful in those places and to just testify to what God has done for you and who he's been for you. It's the job of the church. Just bear witness to the wonderful works of God for you. And all that might have been well and good for the apostles standing there with Jesus at, this, at the ascension. Okay, bear witnesses. I get witness. Okay, I'm testifying. I've seen the risen Lord. I know him. He has come after me. He's forgiven me. These apostles knew Jesus. and They're going, okay, bear witness. All that could have made a lot of sense until Jesus gave them the scope. Right before he sends them out on mission, he, their question to him is, all right, is it time for Israel to be great again? Like, is it time for the kingdom of God to come to Israel again? And Jesus goes, no, 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 I, we're expanding this thing. This is going to the ends, of the ends of the globe. Listen to the scope that he gives them. I want you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Okay, check, got it, we're in Jerusalem, we can do that. And to Judea and Samaria, that's like, you know, Goodlettsville and Spring Hill or something. Like, you know, we're, we're expanding this out a little bit from the region. And then he just goes, okay, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Like, whoa, 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 Jesus. Like, we were cool here. You want us to go where? How in the world are a bunch of Galilean fishermen supposed to bear witness to the world? Hey, Jesus, last time we checked, we speak Aramaic, not every other language in the world. How are you supposed to bear witness? How are you supposed to testify if we don't even speak the dang language of the places where we're going? Then look at verse 10 of chapter one. I want you to like use your redeemed imagination. Like imagine these apostles, these Galilean fishermen there and going, okay, bear witness, okay, testify, okay. Now to where now? Look at, what, look at how they respond. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This is the picture, literally. Like Jesus gives his account or his, his command, be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. And then he disappears and they go, what? 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 
what? And then angels appear before them and go, hey, dudes, like bring the mouth down, down, yeah, right here, go. Like they're going, well, how, do you, how do you want us to do this? Like he just said to the ends of the earth, I don't, I don't have Rosetta Stone. I can't just start learning all the languages. Like I can't, is Rosetta Stone still the way that people learn languages? I'm not up to date on language learning. But that like, I don't, know how to, I don't know how to do that. How in the world do you want us to do this, Jesus? You just gave us this mission and then you disappeared to the ends of the earth. Are you kidding me? Which brings us to our second point, that after Jesus calls the church into his mission, he empowers them for the mission. Okay, from the time that the church began, like this chapter, chapter one of Acts, the church is born. From the time that the church began up to about the fourth century, about 300 years, Christianity grew faster than any other religion in the history of the world. It was on like a giant up curve. And historians for centuries have always wondered this. Like secular and Christian historians have always asked this question. How in the world is it that this little band of followers with the tasks that before them to take it to the end of the world, with all the oppression and persecution and opposition and sickness and pluralism of the Roman Empire where there were all these gods, how is it that in three centuries it became the most popular religion in the world? It became the official religion of the Roman Empire. They were being persecuted. They were being killed. They only spoke one language. How in the world is it this little band of 12 people, how in the world is it that they then became, it became known across the globe? And here's the answer. The answer to the historian's question is in Acts 2. Here it is, you ready? How did, how did this happen? Holy Spirit, let's pray and go home because you fully understand it, right? No, that's the point. Is like the Holy Spirit's the only explainable reason how, in, how this little band of 12 fishermen could take this to the ends of the earth. How does it work? The Holy Spirit. See, this is where the status of the mission of Jesus in the world goes from mission impossible to mission possible. If the church is to be the continuation of Jesus in the world, then Acts chapter two is we see through this very mysterious third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Through the Holy Spirit, Jesus is literally saying this in Acts chapter two. Hey church, I'm gonna put my spirit in you. I'm gonna put my heart inside of you. That's how you're gonna to go to the ends of the earth and continue my works because I'm gonna put myself inside of you. I'm gonna dwell with you. I'm gonna be with you. I'm never gonna leave you. And I'm going to empower you and give you what you need for the task at hand. That's how you will be my witnesses. That's how you will continue my mission. That's how you will be my hands and feet. That's how you will be my body in the world because I am putting my spirit, I'm putting my heart inside of you, church. And the first thing that the Holy Spirit does for them, remember the task that's set before them, take this, be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, is that he gives, this, the Holy Spirit gives these apostles the ability to speak in different languages, that's what that word tongues means there. Different languages, different forms of communicating. And there's a list, there's a giant laundry list of all the languages that the apostles, these Galilean fishermen, started speaking instantly. They start speaking in different languages. Why did they need that to accomplish the mission of the church? Why did they need that at that moment? Because at, at the point where the Holy Spirit is, is poured out on them, there's this Jewish festival going on called Pentecost. We read about that in Acts chapter two, verse one. Pentecost is happening. What was Pentecost? Pentecost, that word literally, Pentecost means 50. 
And so 50 days after Passover was this massive Jewish festival. Guess who descended onto Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost? The diaspora of the Jewish nation. All the Jews from all over the known world came to Jerusalem. There were hundreds of thousands of Jews from all over the world in Jerusalem. And guess what was true about all those people who descended on Jerusalem? They did not speak Aramaic. I don't speak your language. I'm here because I'm a good God-fearing Jew. But now all these apostles over here are claiming about some resurrected rabbi over there. I don't know what they're talking about. And so what did the Holy Spirit give them the ability to do? To testify, to be a witness about what Jesus had done. And so all these Jews from all over the world begin hearing the mighty works of God, we're told, in their own languages. Look at chapter two, verses six through eight. This is, this is the account that Luke gives us. And at, that, at this sound, the sound of the wind and the fire, the multitude came together. This is like the crowds all come together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? The Holy Spirit empowered the church to bear witness about Jesus and he gave them what they needed in that historical moment to be the church and to testify to the people about who Jesus was. He empowered them. He gave them what they needed. And guess what would have been, guess what coins would have been dropping for the apostles as they were speaking in all these other native languages, knowing they were just uneducated Galilean fishermen that couldn't speak all these languages five minutes before, but now they're fluently sharing about who Jesus is in all these languages. Guess where all these people were from? The ends of the earth. And so all these people are now hearing and understanding the mighty works of God. They're bearing witness to, the, to the, who Jesus is for them. And if you read that list of the languages that were being spoken, the ones that I probably butchered, all those languages that were being spoken, and you put a pin on the maps of all the places that these people had come from, you would begin to see the circle that was being drawn by the Holy Spirit going, I'm calling you to the ends of the earth, and guess what I'm equipping you to do? Speak to the ends of the earth. So you thought this mission was impossible, but I'm with you and I'm inside of you and with God, all things are possible. You have what you need to accomplish the task that's been given to you. In the face of what seemed to be an impossible task to take the mission of Jesus to the ends of the earth, the Holy Spirit gave the church exactly what she needed to be empowered to accomplish that task. That, my friends, is true for us too. What we need in order to accomplish the tasks that before us, to continue the works of Jesus in Nashville, to bring the kingdom of God to Nashville, what we've been tasked with, we also have been given a Holy Spirit to give us exactly what we need to be empowered to accomplish the task. The speaking in tongues, the speaking in languages is what they needed in their task. Now, he may call you to China without studying any kind of language, and he may give you the ability to speak Chinese. Probably not gonna happen, though. What he is gonna do, though, is I know he's called you to Nashville today because that's where you are, and guess what he's gonna give you today for the mission you need to accomplish today? Everything you need because he's put his spirit inside of you. Acts chapter two should be the bedrock of your confidence. As the church hears the call to step into the mission of God, we should be beaming with humble confidence. The church should be the most non-anxious presence in the world. 
Because you know, Jesus put his heart inside of me. I have what I need for the task that's been set before me. How I've been called to bring the mission of Jesus to my home or my workplace or my world. However he's called you, he has equipped you with his spirit inside of you to give you what you need. Church, you've been called to mend the world. Let me just nuance that out for you so that maybe you can begin to relate to how the, how the disciples first felt in Acts chapter one. You've been called to be the church to the ends of the world. You've been called to mend the world wherever God has placed you, which means you're supposed to navigate perfectly the modern moment with all the philosophies and all the pluralism and all the relativism and all the polarization of the politics. You're supposed to navigate all that with truth and grace And you're not, while you do that, um, if you ever hit success, you're not supposed to worship the idols of the culture. And so don't, don't worship what the city's worshiping. You worship Jesus and you're supposed to do that well. And you're also supposed to love your neighbor and you're also supposed to care for the widow and the orphan. And you're also supposed to push back the darkness in every corner of Nashville with all the trafficking and all the injustice and all the places where people hate each other. You're supposed to push back against all that. You're supposed to navigate politics, family, and finances with wisdom and beauty. Got it? How do you feel with that task? Maybe like the apostles felt at the end of Acts chapter one. Huh? Like you want to what? See, we typically respond to where God has called us and how he's called us into those places. We typically respond with fear and anxiety about all the reasons why it can't work. World's too broken, I'm too sinful, Church is too messy, task is too large. But Jesus in Acts chapter two looks at you and says, I put my heart inside of you. I put my spirit inside of you. I'm going with you. You have everything you need to accomplish the task in front of you. Let me ask you this question. When you look at the world, your world, the world, this city, what? You look at Facebook or Twitter, dumpster fires. Like you look at whatever it is that like you look at the state of things. Do you believe that in the end, the kingdom of God will win out? I don't know, man. What if, what if Trump wins again? What if, what if liberalism wins out? What if like woke ideology? What if the recession happens? What, what if they start tapping our phones and they have everything? Too late for that. But what if, what if like, what if... Well, I don't know, like, what, what, what are we going to do? How's the, how's, what if they shut church down? What if they make it illegal? What, what are we, how's the church? Do you know what would happen in the world if any of those things came to pass in our lifetime? The gospel would go forth and the church would bear witness to the kingship of Jesus. And the king and his kingdom will advance. And here's the kicker it might advance faster if some of those things happen. Because not only has Jesus called the church into his mission, he has empowered them with what they need for the mission. And Acts chapter two is proof that the kingdom of God always wins. So relax, relax. The kingdom of God always wins. 20-year-old movie, John Q., Denzel, anybody? God, Denzel just gets me right here. I'm reverent. Four people raised their hands. So this illustration is not relevant anymore. It's 20 years old. Denzel's boy is uh, dying of a heart defect. His heart is three times its size. And so they rush him to the ER and he needs a heart transplant like today. 
but there's no donor. We can't get it, so he's like 70th on the list. We gotta, so here's what Denzel does. He takes the, host, he takes the emergency room hostage, not recommending it, but he, that's not the point of the illustration. Um, he takes the uh, emergency room hostage and demands, my son moves to the top of the list today. This is going to happen today. There's nothing they can do. And so what Denzel does about halfway through the movie is he tells the doctor with a pistol in his hand, I want you to take my heart, doc, and put it in my son. Take my heart, put it in his chest. The doctor says, this is too crazy. We gotta do tissue samples and blood matching. And, and he goes, you don't understand. I want you to take my heart and put it in him. We've done tests out the wazoo. It's a match. His heart's three times its size, so mine will fit. And then he says this. If my son needs a new heart and someone has to die in order for him to live, take mine. God, Denzel, that's, that's, that's exactly what God has done for you in Jesus. You needed a new heart. Someone needed to die to get you a new heart. God said, he's my son. I'll die in his place so he can have my heart. He's put his heart in you so that you could live and then to take his heart to the ends of the world. Sometimes our hearts are too shattered to feel like we could do that. Sometimes our hearts are too weary and heavy laden. Sometimes the sickness is too much. The strife is too much. The fear is too much. Sometimes the addiction is too much. Sometimes the hurting is too much. It's hard to imagine taking Jesus' heart to the end of the earth when your heart's in pieces. And so if that's you, which it's many of us, if your heart's shattered, you cry out to the Jesus who gave you his heart. You bring him your sorrows and you bring him your sin and you find that his mercy hasn't gone anywhere. And after you experience him and you cry out to him, you bear witness to the wonderful works of God for you. Let's pray. Jesus, uh, we're weary and heavy laden. Your church is full of pilgrim, pilgrims who are sin sick and we're, we're longing for home. And so Jesus, you call us on this mission and sometimes it feels like it's too much. But Acts chapter two is where you tell us you've put your heart and your spirit inside of us and you'll never leave us. You're going with us to the ends of the earth. You're going with us to our living rooms. You're going with us to our offices. You're going with us to mend what sin has destroyed. So as we cry out to you this need for mercy as we're weary, would you restore our hearts? And when you do, we will tell the world of what you've done for us. We ask all this in your name, Jesus. Amen.